This is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, and this is the post-UFC 109 review update uh, on MMATorch.com. I'm joined today by Torch columnist Anwar Perez and Matt Pelkey. Uh, how are you guys doing? All right. Doing good, thanks. All right, guys. Last night was uh, the Hall of, UFC Hall of Famer bout between Randy Couture and Mark Coleman, and uh, also featured the emergence of Chael Sonnen as a number one contender in the UFC's middleweight division. Um, overall, what were your thoughts on the fight card and um, a one to ten score on uh, how the event played out for you? On more, we'll start with you. You know, I like. The card was serviceable. I won't say it was great or good or terrible. I mean, my MMA Torch um, review earlier this morning was a five, and I stick by it only because and a five not being terrible. It was just that it was so, so you had a great start to the night on the pay-per-view card with Matt Serra, you know, TK, uh, Tao, and Frank Trigg. You know, it was an awesome way, but then after that, it, the momentum just basically died and never really picked up, except maybe during certain spots. Obviously, the finish in the Paul Tiago and Mike Sweet fight, but it was it was an okay card. I mean, if someone missed it, they could just go onto the UFC on demand or something and pick the fight they wanted to see because half the fights were good and then half of them were just you didn't miss anything. Even if you didn't watch the fight, you just heard about it, you didn't miss, and there was nothing spectacular. Matt, over to you. Yeah, same here. Um, I gave it a five point five on my roundtable review. I had. Low expectations for this card coming in, and I, I suppose it lived up to my low expectations, but didn't really exceed them too much. Some fights were a little better than I thought they would be. Some fights were a little worse than I thought they would be. Um, this is a, a two-fight card on paper and a two-fight card in the cage. Um, the last two fights really saved this card from being kind of a, a, a complete bore. Um, you know, nothing really stood out for me other than the debut of, of Phil Davis. And even still, uh, just just seeing him work, you, you realize this is a guy that that was only in his fifth professional fight. So while he has a a bright future, he's a long way from being a contender. And uh, aside from that, I don't think uh, outside of the top two fights, we really had a whole lot uh, going on as far as contenders go. Yeah, I'm in I'm in pretty much agreement with you guys, but I, I had it a little higher, about a six six and a half for me in this event. Just it was really. You got what you were expecting coming into this card. If you thought it was going to be a lot better than what ended up uh, taking place, then it was a mistake on your part because you should have known what you were going to get out of the matchups on this card. Um, I agree with you, Matt. There were a couple I thought would be a little better, a couple, uh, uh, couple that I thought would be worse. Um, and, you know, I was p- pleasantly surprised with a couple of performances. And then, you know, Chael Sonnen had... Uh, the performance of his career, and really outside of Randy Couture looking as good as he has since the Gabriel Gonzaga fight in 2007, um, Sonnen was the story of this one. But we'll start with the Spike TV prelims. We had two fights air on Spike TV. Um, both of these went to decision, so we didn't get any of the other prelim fights. But Melvin Gillard and Hannes Torres um, went to a three-round decision, and uh, if if that was going to be the case and you were looking at this uh, on paper, you would think, okay, Torres wins that fight. But Melvin Gillard uh, used uh, his definitely superior striking and a much improved ground defense game to, um, you know, defend everything Torres did uh, against him. He was taken to the ground a few times, but he found ways to get back up to his feet. It was um, 
clearly one of the best performances Gallard has had in the UFC where he hasn't finished an opponent. Um, and against such a, a dangerous ground guy as Torres, Gallard was very impressive with what he was able to do, comparatively speaking, to uh, what he's done earlier in his career. So, uh, Matt, what were your thoughts on Gallard's performance here, and uh, where, do you, where do you see Torres going from here? Uh, Torres, I don't think, drops too much with this loss. We knew going in that the ground was his specialty and that he needs he, he needs to work on his stand-up, and, and that proved to be the case, and that's still going to be the case going forward. Um, the, the story of this fight was really Melvin Gillard. Uh, I said on our, our preview show that until I, I wasn't going to keep falling for Melvin's potential, I needed to actually you know see it for myself first uh, before I was going to start buying it again. And while I'm not totally convinced that he's going to be a world-beater from here, from here on out, obviously working with Greg Jackson's camp uh, helped him a lot. Um, his, he got taken down a couple times in the first round, but then after that really was, was near impossible to, to get down, and certainly when he was taken down, it was impossible to hold him down. Uh, he obviously picked up some new tricks and, and applied them with the skill sets that, that he already had, and while, while I'm not ready to crown him a, a new contender in the, the lightweight division, he certainly deserves another step up in competition and another uh, maybe a shot on a main card of a, a fight night next time out. And more, what did you think of uh, Torres' debut and uh, also Gallard's performance? You know, Torres is, you know, pretty good. You know, he's still, again, like uh, Matt said, his striking game is just kind of just more like the old school grappler. You know, they have the grappling, they got the ground game, they got everything. When it comes to striking, he's got like a couple – Couple movements and that's about it. So, you know, he, I don't think he's going to fart. Like, again, he's not going to fart too much. And also, he'll probably get matched better with someone down the line that'll give him, you know, that'll be more of a better match to see what he can really do, hopefully on the ground, you know. As far as Gillard, I mean, it's day and night compared, you know, if you compare his fight and his attitude and his overall game to two years ago when he fought Rich Clemente. And he was just, you know, this brash young guy who's flipping people off, getting mad at everybody, and he gets frustrated easily, couldn't take a lot, you know. Now he's refreshed, he seems really calm, you know, when he got taken down, he didn't overreact, he just he knew exactly what he needed to do. He had a, you know, he had a very, he kind of, it's kind of like he grew up, and he finally found himself, and now he's comfortable in his own skin. And I think, again, I also think that helps training with Greg Jackson. You know, Greg Jackson always has that very amiable, relaxed feel around his fighters, you know. So I think, you know, Gallardi is definitely going to step up. And, you know, he'll face some of these top, top guys, you know, maybe like a Mac Danzig or something. The final bout before the prelims featured Mac Danzig and, uh, against Justin Buckholtz. And this is a fight where both fighters needed to, needed to win or they were out of the UFC, uh, realistically. Buckholtz came in with a one and three record in the octagon. Mac Danzig had lost three straight. Um, and this is a fight that, you know what, it was very evenly matched. Both guys were uh, very aware of their status with the UFC coming into this. Um, and Buckholz put on a, a very good performance it, uh, for him compared to what he's done in the octagon and gave Mac Danzig a fight for three rounds. But Danzig is the better fighter, even if by an edge. Um, the first round was extremely close. Uh, I gave it to Danzig. The judges gave it to Buckholtz. I could have seen it either way. I thought Danzig landed the cleaner strikes in that round. Buckholtz may have landed a couple of the harder ones. Um, but the second and third round were all Danzig. Um, for the most part, Buckholtz came in with 
a few good combinations here and there, but he was swinging really wildly, and um, he's just he's just not a UFC caliber fighter right now. And the way Mac Danzig's been fighting, um, he needs to uh, kind of rebuild after that three fight uh, losing streak. And I think this was a good first step. It wasn't a great fight; it was an okay fight. Um, but uh, Danzig got the much needed win that he needed to continue in the UFC. Uh, Amar, your thoughts on Danzig's performance here and uh, also Buck Holtz and what will likely be his last Octagon appearance? You know, they both did well. I mean, they, you know, and again, you have that mental mentality, you know, you're coming in, you already know, hey, if I don't win, I've got, I'm, I'm pretty much out of the UFC. And if Danzig didn't win, you know, and he was out of the UFC, you, you know, that would be a first, as he would be the first U.S. Uh, Ultimate Fighter winner, and I'm not counting, you know, Ultimate Fighter 4 where I had Matt there and, you know, Travis Luter, but more or less the newer, you know, the actual fresh, you know, this is the first time you U.S. the Ultimate Fighter winner to be actually booted. So that would have been a first in of itself. But, you know, they both did good, but, you know, Danzig, with the more, just the professionalism and the more fights he's had, you know, he had to use his, um, just use his mental game and just, Puffed it out. I mean, he really just grinded it out, and I, I think you know this does him well. And you know, it's definitely next fight's definitely going to be a big. I think it'll actually be a bigger step for for him as far as competition goes. So I can actually see him on either on the main card, you know, of a fight night, or like maybe on the main card, like the first fight of a of a pay per view, depending on who he's fighting. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, Melvin Gallard. I mean, that would be a good. Those two guys are needing to look to move up. That would be a good fight for both of them, personally. As for Bocos, I, you know, he did well. He did really well, but you know, who knows where he'll end up if he ends up still in the, you know, maybe from the grace of God he'll get into you still keeping the UFC, but more than likely he'll be gone. And he might, you know, you never know. He can probably drop down the featherweight, but then that would also. Um, you know, interfere. If I'm right, he's uh, one of the training partners for Rod Faber, so he might not want to do that as well. So who knows for Bocos? I mean, he did a great job doing what he could, but overall, you know, Danzy proved to be the better man. Matt, your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, this wasn't it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, but I don't think it was for lack of trying. I think both guys really really fought like their their jobs were on the line, and it just turned out to be a little more evenly matched than we even realized. I think. Uh, Danzig fared a little better on the feet than I was anticipating, and I think Buckholz did a, a better job on the ground than I was anticipating. I, I really thought that Danzig would test himself out on the feet and uh, eventually find an opening to take it down, and, and then I thought it would be relatively quick from there. Um, but but Buckholz did a great job defensively on the ground. Um, I think I really like Anwar's idea of, of Mac Danzig, Melvin Gillard. I think that makes a lot of sense. Both guys, you know, obviously fought on the same show, so they should be ready at the same time, basically. Um, they're both at the the relatively same stage of of their career and standing in the in the UFC. They're both second rung fighters looking to to work their way up into being contenders. Um, as far as Justin Buckles goes, uh, I think he's a talented fighter. He's obviously very young and has plenty of time to develop. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing him go to Strike Force just to add a little depth to their lightweight division instead of this like you know two or three guys at the top of the division and then constantly rotating new guys in. Uh, like Strike Force is doing right now. They need to get some guys signed um, that have a little name recognition. And, and even though Justin Buckles is going to get cut from the UFC for having lost several fights in a row, uh, he's still a talented guy, and he could still put together some wins over there. So 
uh, he, he's young enough that he can he can improve and work his way back to the UFC, but I don't see him, uh, you know, falling too hard uh, just from this loss here. Moving on to the pay-per-view broadcast, we open with Matt Serra versus Frank Trigg, and, um, you know, this this was a fight to show if either of them had anything left in the tank. Uh, Matt, in our preview audio, I, I said that I thought Sarah had uh, something left in the tank and that Trigg didn't. You didn't think either of them did. Um, I think Sarah proved uh, proved you a little wrong in this one because that was a very very good performance, even though it was only two and two and a half uh, two and a half minutes of the first round. And Trigg was very clearly not have anything left in the tank. But Sarah worked the body punches very well and uh, negated the reach advantage of Trigg, and then landed that beautiful overhand right and uh, pounded him out with three more shots on the ground. I thought it was an excellent excellent performance by Matt Sarah and uh, proved that he definitely can still continue. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent performance by Sarah and also a terrible performance by Frank Trigg. Um, Matt Sarah looked better than I was anticipating. Um, I still don't see him ever being a title contender ever again at 170 or 155 if he decides to drop back down at some point. Um, he's got those heavy hands, and if, and if you're willing to stand there and trade punches with him, he's got the chin to take shots and, and the hands to deliver them, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, I was more so disappointed with Frank Trigg. I really thought he had the wrestling to put Sarah on his back and, uh, you know, the ground and pound to, to win a decision here while avoid getting submitted. Uh, but he didn't even attempt that. He was, like Joe Rogan said, he was standing straight up because he apparently just wanted to trade punches, and he, he should have known that his chin wasn't going to stand up to to Sarah's big punches, and uh, and they didn't. Uh, he was working those body punches early in the fight, and then as soon as he, he sets up the overhand right and lands it, Frank Trigg went down and, and ate a few more. Um, I, I can't believe he was even protesting that stoppage. He ate three uncontested punches while he looked to be out cold. I think the last one just woke him back up, and he probably didn't even realize what happened. But uh, good riddance to, to Frank Trigg if that's the kind of performances he's going to uh, put on. I, I like him as a, a commentator and, and think he has a career doing that, so he might as well get started on that right now. Uh, Matt Sarah gets to stick around. Matt Sarah's going to stick around as long as he wants to keep fighting because he's got the personality. Uh, he has the great underdog story of, of upsetting GSP to win the title. So I don't. I don't necessarily think Matt Sarah all of a sudden gets launched into a, a fight with, uh, you know, the winner of John Fitch, Tiago Alves, or anything like that. But, you know, maybe match him up with Paulo Tiago and see what happens. They both won last night and, and had two of the more impressive performances. So uh, give him another fight, see what he's got. And what are your thoughts on Sarah here? Uh, that was actually one of the most anticipated fights I wanted to actually see. Uh, only because, you know, they're two very outgoing personalities. You know, you, you got Frank Trigg and his history with, you know, with Matt Hughes. And ironically, they both have really great history with Matt Hughes, you know, on the fast talking and just the fights. But, you know, when you put those two guys together, you know it was made that somebody's going to get knocked out. Someone's going to get hurt. And to be honest, you know, Frank Trigg hasn't looked, you know, I never bought into Frank Trigg as any, any more, even as a title contender when he was fighting Matt Hughes, never bought into him. He just seemed... He was good, but he never good enough. I mean, he he always he never he always did enough to win the fights he won, but it, and then he would just you know when he lost, he'd always get you know mad and say, oh, well, this, this, it was the judge's fault, or hey, it was, like you know Matt was saying, you know he's protesting the knockout. 
he went down, looked, looked like he was out on his feet, and he hit three more times, and he was, like, curled up. You, you got knocked out. It's plain and simple. You know, for Matt Sarah, you know, that was great. You know, he stood, he stood in there. You know, he kept his composure. He didn't do nothing. You know, he didn't, he didn't even try to grapple with him. He just stood there and just waited and waited perfectly, and he, he got his shots in, you know. I still think, you know, I think Matt Sarah's got a lot more in his tank than maybe most people give him credit for, but as title contender, probably not. But he'll, I think he can probably get up there maybe a top three, maybe top four guys. And, you know, I, you know, and he said, uh, Matt said, Paul Tiago, that would be a great fight. And another fight I would like to see Matt Sarah ever get within the next year. And he's already tied up with another fight coming up, but Josh Koscheck would be a great fight for Matt Sarah because they're both guys who have really good ground feel and they both love the strike. So that would be a good matchup. Would that fight happen? We don't know, but it would be something I would look forward to. But Paul Tiago would probably be the best, but that's actually a pretty good idea for Matt. But, it was a great performance from Matt Sarah, either way. Yeah, I, I really would like Sarah Koscheck if Koscheck gets beat by Paul Daly. Um, if Koscheck can get past Paul Daly, I think he would have earned himself another shot um, at George St. Pierre in an actual five-round title fight. Um, because, you know what, you can say what you want, but of all the people that have fought GSP outside of Sarah's KO, um, that, that three-round fight that he had with Koscheck was pretty evenly matched, and Koscheck held his own in, in the wrestling department with that, even in defeat, so it would be a very interesting fight. GSP has improved at leaps and bounds since then, and I think he would uh, um, not have very much trouble with Koscheck in a, in a rematch, but at the same time, it would be a, a very interesting fight to see um, should he get past Paul Daly, but that's uh, for another audio <laughs> as we get in the future, but moving on. Demi and Maya against Dan Miller. Um, you know, I was really, I was proven wrong in this one. I was, I was hoping for more of a ground fight. Um, Dan Miller didn't want anything to do with Demi and Maya's ground game, and it ended up being a bit of a glorified sparring match for the three rounds. Uh, uh, supervising editor Wade Keller, he did not like this fight. Uh, he thought it was a, a, a boring waste of time in, in the middle of this card, but. Um, I actually liked it. I liked seeing that um, against someone that could negate his ground game, that Maya was able to uh, improve his striking enough to win a fight like this. That's a nice progression in his game to see. He's not going to knock out anyone. He's not going to be um, a very successful fighter on the feet uh, with someone else that is is also a good striker. But when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt against Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and, you know, Miller's able to do enough to defend and to negate what Maya's trying to do on the ground, and, and Miller's wrestling is pretty good as well. Um, Maya did everything he needed to do uh, t- to win this fight, start to finish. Um, you know, I gave him all three rounds. One of the judges did as well. Uh, two of the judges gave Miller one of them, but this is Maya's fight. I thought he looked very good on the feet. Um, well, comparatively speaking, very good for him on the feet against Miller, who is not known for his striking either. So I, I thought it was a good performance from Maya, um, considering that he was negated on the ground. And what are your thoughts on this one? You know, it was it was a serviceable fight, a good fight from Maya. It just wasn't what you would expect from a Maya fight. From, you know, take a, you know, take away, obviously, the knockout loss to Nate Marquardt. 
you know, most of his fights, he's been able to get the guy on the ground and, you know, do what he does best and just submit, either submit them or just, you know, just go come up with some crazy transitions. Here he didn't. You know, Miller was able to stuff all the takedowns, didn't want no part of it, like you said. But at the same time, is he seemed very tentative on the feet. Even though it did seem he had improved his striking, it just seemed like he, he just was very – I think that knockout, in a way – Part of me feels that he didn't get affected. It's not affected by it. He moved past it. But also part of me feels that he's still, you know, it's the first time in cage back from that. He's still feeling very, you know, nervous about it. I mean, he did well. I mean, now basically this is able to shut down all the talk about him being a top contender or on the rise again because of the fact of of last night's performance. I mean, he was, you know, you get a good wrestler in there with him, someone who can stuff his takedowns. You you can negate that part, and then you, know, you got to worry about it. It's striking, and if you can do a little better than him, obviously you can probably win the decision. So it was, you know, I'm kind of I hate to, I kind of want to try to wait on this. It was very just boring, and you, you know, I got up a few times just to you know grab something else to drink or something, you know, not worried about the fight, and kind of because I knew I'm gonna come right back and it's still gonna be on. It's still gonna be the same thing going on. So it was very anticlimactic and. Where the where it was at as far as the card goes, I mean, you had, you know, just a KO right there of Matt Sarah and Frank Trigg, and then you go into that, and you seem very, you're kind of like, okay, well, then never mind. All the momentum you had just went out the window. So, Matt, where were you at on this one? I, I was with you on this one, Jamie. Uh, we both were predicting and I think hoping for uh, a grappling match uh, because Jamie Myers usually has pretty entertaining grappling matches when he can get someone to to go down to the mat with him. Um, clearly, Dan Miller didn't want to do that. Uh, Maya was able to take him down a couple times, but not really hold him there. But that's okay, because I think we actually learned more in this fight than we would have if he had taken him down and submitted him. Um, we actually learned that he, well, he's never going to be a world beater on his feet. He certainly has improved a lot on his feet and, and looked... Um, you know, something slightly less than comfortable, but uh, a lot more comfortable than he has been in the past. Um, I think if he can keep improving his strikes, uh, he doesn't need to to always have the ground game as his crutch. Um, not that he's going to, to go out there and, and outstrike Nate Marquardt if they were to ever rematch, but he can he can at least know that he's not always not lost if he can't get his opponent to the ground. Um, Dan Miller, like you said, he's not he's not a world beater on the feet either. But Danny Maya was able to outstrike Dan Miller when we all assumed Dan Miller would have the advantage on the feet in this fight. So uh, while it wasn't the most exciting thing to watch in the world, I, I found it enjoyable because we saw another step in the evolution of a fighter. Uh, and and while he's Anwar's right, he's not he's still not a title contender like we maybe thought he was if he could get past Nate Marquardt. Uh, he is an improving fighter, and, and that's an important step. Uh, after that, we got our first prelim fight of the night on the broadcast. It was Brian Stan against Phil Davis. Davis making his UFC debut, and uh, you know what? He's a national champion at Division I NCAA Wrestling, and he's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. But this was his fifth fight, and that was clear. That said... The fact that he was able to just dominate Brian Stan on the ground throughout, I had 30-25 on my fight card. I thought he did. He had 10-8 rounds in the second and third because Stan wasn't able to do a damn thing. 
and Davis uh, stayed on top of him throughout. It was very, very impressive. Um, clearly, he needs to learn how to finish fights, but you know what? He's he's very early in his career. He's a very big 205-pound fighter. Um, he's got a lot of tools uh, in his belt there to, uh, to to really be something in this sport. He's got the size. He's got... Um, clearly the the gas tank to go three rounds he's got um definitely the wrestling ability to to do damage to to fighters but definitely needs to improve his striking he needs to improve uh his finishing ability on the ground but you know those are minor complaints for a fighter in his UFC debut and his fifth fight overall i thought uh Phil Davis had a very very good um UFC debut i mean outside of finishing stand here. You, you couldn't ask much for much more from Davis in this fight because he dominated the second and third rounds start to finish. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on Davis' debut? Yeah, it went basically exactly how I predicted it would. I thought he would dominate on the ground but not be able to finish. That's what happened, but I was still very impressed with what he was able to do. Um, he has an enormous frame, too. I don't know how much weight he cuts to get down to 205, but he looked uh, two weight classes bigger than Brian Stan somehow. And Brian Stan's not not a huge 205, but he's not a small one either. Um, Phil Davis, I wonder as he as he keeps growing and filling out, if he could uh, compete as like a 250 pound heavyweight at some point, um, or if he can keep making the cut, which obviously as a wrestler he has experience doing. Then by all means, keep cutting down to 205 and be uh, you know the big guy in town. Um, it, it clearly was his fifth fight. Um, but and he, he needs to improve everything. Uh, but at the same time, that's about as impressive as you get outside of being a BJ Penn or a John Jones, you know, the true prodigies of the sport. Um, that's about as good as you can be in, in your in your fifth fight. Um, I look forward to him progressing. Uh, of the three highly touted prospects that we had debuting last night in, in Hanis Torres, uh, Hollis Gracie, and Phil Davis, Phil Davis was easily the the star of those and, and has the brightest future. Um, but but it's going to be a few years before we really uh, need to take him seriously as a contender. He's not going to rise to prominence uh, as quickly as as a John Jones. He he obviously is, is far behind on the striking department. He, he had a good front push kick, but other than that, that was about it. Um, didn't look terribly fluid in his movement on the feet. Um, which is a stark contrast to how fluid he looked on the ground, um, especially transitioning to that arm bar at the end of the fight. Um, he didn't have it locked up quite right, but I think if he had a you know another 15 seconds to work, he probably would have figured it out. So overall, very impressive performance. But uh, I'm not going to put too much stock in it until I see another two or three fights and another uh, year to year and a half of, of training under his belt. And what are your thoughts on Davis? Davis, you know, looked great. I mean, I agree with Matt. His frame was ridiculous. His legs, I compared him to Mirko Krokop last night. And everyone kind of gave me this weird look about, they were like, well, he's not that big. I'm like, imagine if Krokop was a 205, that's exactly what they look like. His body is just huge. I agree. He looked like he was two sizes, two classes over Stan. And Stan's a big dude. I've met him in person. He's huge. Even for, you know, for a smaller two or five, he's still a big dude. So for Davis to just manhandle him, basically, on the ground is just ridiculous. Now, as far as striking goes, you know, with a frame like that and a body like that, it just, he looks like he should be able to be a dominant striker. 
but he obviously doesn't have the skills yet, and he relies on his bread and butter with his wrestling, which is looked great. You know, you know, he had a couple holes here and there. He had, I mean, if Brian Finn had more of a ground game, he might have been able to get out of some of the situations a little better. But I mean, Davis just looked unreal. I mean. When the fight came on, you kind of were thinking, well, usually they do the prelim fights like this because they're a knockout or a submission. But, you know, you got to see a whole three-round fight with this guy who, can, who apparently someone in, in the UFC, you know, some of the UFC brass think, hey, this guy's going to be somebody someday. So let's get him on the card. I mean, he looked great. The conditioning looked pretty good. He didn't, you know, he, for a big guy carrying that frame, he didn't look winded at the end. He wasn't, you know, struggling. But, again, he couldn't finish the fight even though – I think he could put somebody else had a little bit more of a better um, striking game on the ground or striking game at all. You know, they'd probably be able to finish this fight maybe early third round. But overall, a great fight for uh, for Davis. Next fight of the night was Mike Swick and Paulo Tiago. Uh, Swick took this one um, late notice with Josh Koscheck pulling out of the um, the rematch with Tiago. Um, so this is Tiago's fourth fight in the UFC and his third AKA guy in the welterweight division. Um, and I think we can safely say after this fight that we can move past his victory over Kostrek being a fluke because Tiago's got some power in his hands and he's got a, a great killer instinct when he's got the spot there because that uh, that right hand that knocks Swick down and then getting right into the Darce choke on the ground, it was a beautiful finishing sequence. I'm sorry, it was the left that he dropped him with. It was a beautiful finishing sequence, and it, it was after Swick landed a good right of his own and then tried to go in for more. Um, the first round, there wasn't much to talk about. There, a whole lot of nothing until Swick uh, got a takedown with about 30 seconds left, trying to steal the round, which he probably did. Um, but, you know, Tiago with a great counter shot and then a beautiful dar stroke on the ground, choking out Mike Swick cold and... uh and that 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 might be Swick's first two two fight losing streak. I'm not sure. I'd have to double check that. But uh, Swick has now lost two straight and has dropped even further down the ladder. Paulo Tiago just uh, upped his profile even further. That was a great great performance and a great submission um, that justly earned him the submission of the night award. Uh, Anwar, your thoughts on Tiago's uh, submission victory? That was a great fight. I think the ending came. I think the ending made that fight. Obviously, you know, the, it, it, like you said, the, the first round was very, you know, very just kind of there, you know, affecting each other. But there, you obviously could tell they were both ready to unload on each other and just get the other guy knocked out or obviously submitted. But I mean, it was Tiago looked tremendous. Swick so did take the fight on short notice, but if I'm right, it was it wasn't nothing to you know. Like um, like a week or two, he, he did have some preparation to go for it. And, he, and at that AKA camp, they're always prepping for something. You know, they're always there to. You know, they're always prepping at a fight, basically a fight level of intensity. You know, even if you don't have another fight for another three months, or you don't even know when your next fight is, they're fight ready. So, you know, I don't want to take any away from Tiago with saying you know Sweet came in a little under the gun, but obviously Sweet also came prepared to fight. You know, he was able to get him down in the thirty seconds, like he said. But Tiago just unloaded on him, and, and again, that that that's just that is pure skill when an instinct when you get the guy down and you see an opening that quick and you get that dark choke. It, it, that was ridiculous because no one knew what to call it. Either you know watching it or you know Joe Rogan or Goldberg, they weren't able to 
actually, you know, they were just like, holy crap, he's out. Well, no one saw it coming. He literally jumped on him. It was a great fight for Tiago. That definitely moves him up the rank. As far as Mike Swick, you know, drops him down. The only thing I'm worried about now is this AKA camp always says, we're not going to fight each other, we're not going to fight each other. I guarantee by the end of the year, it's gonna, something's going to give. They've got, I mean, the three welterweights, all either top contenders or, you know, Mike Swick was a top contender or close to it, you know, you're going to have to fight each other and figure something out. Because when your top two guys are either John Fitch or Josh Koshek, and, you know, you're Mike Swick looking to move up, what better way than to take out the guys that are above you? Well, it happens to be your best friends. So be it. It's the fight game. But, you know, for Mike Swick, you know, hopefully he can rebound better. You know, Tiago, who knows? I mean, we'll have, it should be a good, I mean, the welterweight division is sitting out a lot better, a lot more now. So hopefully you might actually see him by the end of the year as a top contender. Matt, your thoughts on Tiago's uh, submission victory here? This, this is one of the fights that I was pleasantly uh, surprised by. Uh, like you said, the, the, the first round, not much to, to write home about, but it was kind of what I was expecting for three rounds out of this fight. Uh, both guys came out a little more aggressive in the second round. Um, you know, they, they traded hard shots that, that ended with Thiago dropping Mike Swick and then jumping on him with a darts choke, which who even thinks to slap on a darts choke in that situation? Um, I, I guess it was the right call in the situation. It just... Uh, that that really shows you how how good of a ground game Paulo Tiago has. That uh, that was just basically muscle memory for him. He, he goes down. Mike Swick tries to tries to basically roll over and sprawl, and, and he locks it in, and that's it. Um, Mike Swick, uh, I think we can can stop putting him as a top ten contender now. Um, he's he's just not quite there, and, and I'm not sure that he ever will be. Um, he's a good fighter, but not a great fighter, and I don't see. Uh, a ton of room for improvement with him. Um, but Paulo Thiago is, is a fighter on the rise. Uh, I think if he keeps fighting like that and, and going for the kill when he has the chance, then he's going to start earning some fans and and won't turn into, uh, you know, basically the Yushin Okami of, of the welterweight division like I was kind of fearing before this fight. Um, he has power in his hands, and he's got a great ground game. He's, he's very similar to a Matt Serra just in the tools that he has. Um, so that's that's a fight I would like to see because I don't really know who else you can match Tiago up with that's that's free at this point that's that's at the same level as him and a, and a worthy opponent for him. So I think that might that fight makes a lot of sense even if it's not a, a big enough fight for Matt Sarah to to train for. Um, maybe you can talk him into uh, hey you you know it'll be one more one more fight away after that one for uh, from a title shot if, if you're willing to do that. Um, but but good performance by Paulo Tiago, and uh, I look forward to see him match up with another top contender next time. Before we get to the top two fights, I just want to touch on the final prelim fight we saw and what was one of the ugliest um, single fights uh, by by a fighter in the heavyweight division in the UFC uh, that we've seen, and that includes Tough Ten. Um, Hollis Gracie takes on Joey Beltran. Beltran had a Beltran had a week to prepare for this fight. He was a late replacement because Mustafa El Turk was unable to take this fight due to visa issues. Um, and I, I think looking at the way this fight went down, if Gracie had come in like he did in this one against El Turk, I think it might have ended even earlier um, than it did with Beltran here. Gracie just looked really gassed out and 
really not very good throughout <laughs> this fight. I mean, he got it to, got Beltran to the ground um, and was working a little bit for something, but Beltran was able to uh, reverse and then get out of it. Um, but, I mean, for such a highly touted heavyweight prospect and, you know, his jiu-jitsu, he was touted as one of the the very best jiu-jitsu fighters uh, in the heavyweight division. I mean, his, his takedown attempts were really, really ugly and, and half-hearted, and, um, I mean, it was just a really bad fight for him, and Beltran, you know, uh, got got hit back in the second round and just landed a bunch of punches after uh, uh, sprawling from another ugly takedown. And, you know, uh, Gracie just laid there and, and took the shots, and, and Beltran got the TKO victory. It was just really, really ugly, and, and I think, Highly surprising to see out of Hollis Gracie here. Uh, Matt, what were your thoughts on, on Gracie's debut? This is just an, an ugly, ugly performance. Uh, I, I don't even know why they decided to show us that. It went into the second round, so uh, I don't see why they couldn't have squeezed in, you know, the Rob Emerson and Philip Nover fight. Um, I can't imagine that was any worse than watching this. Um, you know, Gracie got the first. We got the takedown early in the fight, and it seemed like as soon as Beltran got back up to his feet, that was it. Gracie was done. Um, he would just throw those ugly looping punches and then just leave his head hanging down for about two seconds after he threw a punch. Um, and he was he was matched up with an opponent that was tailor-made for him. Um, Beltran is a, a, a wild brawler with no ground game. Um he should have been able to get a submission that after that first takedown. And, and even still, uh, once he didn't get that, he should have had the gas tank to at least complete one more takedown instead of just falling to the ground, uh, you know, flailing his limbs around. It, it was uh, a shameful performance considering his last name. Um, I, I don't understand how he could be so poorly prepared for a fight he, he's known that he was fighting on this card for a long time. He's been waiting for a long time to make his UFC debut. There's no excuse not to be in shape uh, and to be that, you know, not well-rounded of a fighter. Uh, he had no striking game whatsoever. His takedowns were, were rudimentary, uh, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu 101, um, just trying to get, you know, heel trips and things like that. He has a huge frame. He could easily pack on 30 pounds of muscle and be a guy that has to to cut down to get to the heavyweight limit. I mean, he's six, you know, six four and, and weighs about 250 right now, and, and it just didn't look like he had a whole lot of muscle on his body. Uh, there's no excuse for not having a strength and conditioning program to where you could at least fight two hard rounds as a heavyweight, um, but but he couldn't go two minutes, and this. Joey Beltran was going to earn himself another fight regardless of what happened in this fight because he took the fight on short notice, and that's just kind of the, the UFC's custom uh, to reward guys who helped them out in a pinch. But uh, he certainly earned himself, uh, you know, another another shot defeating a guy with the last name Gracie. But Hollis Gracie needs to he needs to to take a, a year or two away from the UFC, work on his game, work on his striking, work on his cardio. Uh, rack up some wins, build up his confidence, and, and then come back when he's ready. Because he is, after last night, he's clearly not ready for the big time right now. And what are your thoughts on Gracie and uh, Beltran here? That was a mess. I mean, that was a glorified, a glorified uh, train wreck right there. 
I don't know. Again, I agree with Matt. I don't know why they would show you that. Because, I mean, they were, I mean, maybe because it was like this touted prospect in Gracie. I mean, I'm talking touted. Everything I read about this guy was, oh, man, he's going to be, you know, he's like the new Gracie. He's got his ground game, but he's got heavyweight, so he's bigger. I, I saw a guy who basically came off the street, said, hey, you want to fight? Your last name's Gracie. Go in and fight. That's pretty much what it looked like. And, again, Beltron came off a, a week's notice, a week. I mean, he, you know, I don't know what his training regimen like. I guarantee you, though, more than likely, he wasn't training for a fight. He was probably just doing the basic stuff. And so him actually getting in there to actually, like, oh, crap, I got to prepare for a fight in a week. You know, he looked as good as you could expect a guy looking in a week. But the fact that you can even say he looked good versus a guy that looked that bad is crazy. Gracie just looked, I don't know what what was his training program. I don't know what he, did he not care? It was, it's kind of one of those things that you just kind of see why you've been here. I agree with Matt. You know, you probably he probably needs to step away from the fight game altogether. I'm not even the UFC. I won't even do any of the smaller shows to kind of get your feedback. I just step away from it and reevaluate if that's something you want. He looked like he didn't even want to be there. So it's kind of like, you know, the family name pushed him there. And so he said, well, I'm going to do as bad as I can, and then they'll, they'll, they'll just get off my back about fighting because he just looked. There was nothing there. There was nothing. He literally looked like off the street. Uh, you know, the UFC, they'll, you know, it was just, it was bad. I don't, I'm sure they were kind of thinking to themselves as well, why did we count this guy so highly? Why is he such a big deal? But obviously, you know, it, somebody told him, you know, I wonder if anything had to do with him getting signed or vice versa with Enzo Gracie coming into the fold for the UFC from against Matt Hughes. I don't know if there was something, a kind of a, you know, hey, if you get me, if you can't get my, you know, my, one of my relatives in. Well, it's just, you know, again, that's great and all, but, again, the guy didn't look like he wanted to be there. He looked like he'd rather be somewhere else. And then, obviously, show he gassed a, what, like a minute into the fight? It was ridiculous. It was, it was a mess. Train wreck. Moving on to the t- two of the best fights of the night and our co-main event and main event. We'll start with the number one contender bout for the middleweight title, uh, Chael Sonnen and Nate Marquardt. Chael Sonnen is quickly becoming the guy you love to cheer against. Um, he, he runs his mouth. He, he's been great for a quote leading up to this fight. Um, you know, uh, And we're going to have even more uh, leading into about with Anderson Silva should Silva get past Vitor Belfort in April. Um, but this was by far, at, you know, coming off of a career-best performance against Yushin Okami, he, he one-upped himself and had an even better performance against Nate Marquardt here. Because um, Nate Marquardt is a legit top-five middleweight. Uh, you know, he, he a win here was going to get him uh, that, that shot against Anderson Silva. And Summons wrestling is just, it was too much, far too much for him. He, he wasn't able to uh, figure out a way to get off his back, and, uh, you know, he had about a minute minute worth uh, of chances to win this fight with uh, a big elbow that opened a cut on Sonnen that could have uh, could have been stopped at some point, and then the very final minute of the fight where he had a guillotine locked on, it was tight, it was uh, looking like he might actually pull it off after getting his ass kicked for 13 minutes, but Sonnen was able to pop out, and this is all about Sonnen taking Marquardt down at will and continually staying active, landing punches to the body, punches to the face, just really beating Nate Marquardt up. 
for about 13, 13 and a half minutes of this fight. And, uh, you know, Chael Sonnen definitely earned uh, his title shot. He did it the hard way, and he went through two of the toughest guys the middleweight division um, is, is going to offer you. And he just absolutely dominated both of them in Okami and Marquardt. And, I mean, there's not enough you can say about how good Shell Sonnen's performance was last night. I mean, he just absolutely, um, absolutely did everything he could, and, and Nate Marquardt had no answer for it. Uh, and, you know, where Marquardt goes from here, he has to climb back up the ladder now. Um, but Shell Sonnen is going to give us plenty to talk about with plenty more comments about Anderson Silva should they be matched up uh, sometime this summer. Um, Anwar, your your thoughts on Chelsea Sonnen's performance here? I agree. He is quickly becoming the man you want to hate. I mean, he he definitely sold himself and proved it in the ring last night. I mean, he really, you know, all the quotes leading up. And it wasn't even just quotes about Nate Marquardt. He was actually, you know, talking about Anderson Silva and his appearance and, then he's talking about Mark Holman, the back clacking on Mark Holman, and then all these crazy things, and, oh, all the other fighters are, you know, bums, or they don't have the eighth grade education. You're just sitting there like, well, what is this guy doing? But obviously, he backed it up. He's wrestling with Superior. And I really never thought, I actually was thinking that Mark Hart would be the one giving Chow Sonnen the trouble, but he just, Mark Hart had nothing to give. Like, he looked like, you know, you gave him a Rubik's Cube and he stunk. He had no you know, game towards Sonnen. I mean, he just looked very lost and frustrated. You could tell us about third round, he was just, he had to do something. Again, he, he tried it in the very end, but it was a little too little too late, and Sonnen was just ridiculous. I mean, he was cut open, bleeding. You know, he kept coming in, kept taking him down at will, kind of similar to, you know, you see when you see GSP fight. You just took him down, no question. And it was just pretty, it was pretty dominant. Like, if there was a case, it's not a case when Ricardo Almeida fought Patrick Cote and Cote got the fight, you know, against Anderson Silva. A lot of people say, well, that fight itself wasn't very decisive on who was a better fighter. This definitely proves that Sonnen deserves a shot at Anderson Silva or Vito Bradford, depending on who wins their fight. But, you know, in a weird way, you'd want to see just for the quotes alone, you'd want to see Sonny fight Anderson Silva just because of stuff he's already said. You know, it could amp it. I mean, he's kind of becoming the Tito Ortiz of the middleweight division, where he's got, you know, of old, you know, where he's got this really good wrestling game and really dominant sports, and he's just got this mouth that just, you know, talks and just comes up with some of the crazy. He might be better than Tito. comes up with these crazy things, and it's it's really a, it's really a, a, a you know, you like to hear it, but all the same time, he's like, man, I really wish someone would punch him. So it was really, but you know what? Overall, as a fighter, he came out, he caught, he ran his mouth, and then he just proved it in Akadani. He, he's got the number one shot now. Matt, your thoughts on Sonnen here? Yeah, I, I said before the fight that this was the one way that Chael Sonnen could win this fight, but it was how I saw the fight playing out. Um, he, he did exactly what I said he was going to do, almost to a T. He was even more dominant than I thought he could be. Um, just if you look up imposing your will in the dictionary, it should be a, a you know a video of that fight. Um, that's that's exactly what Chelsea did. He did whatever he wanted to. I mean, Marquardt had a couple moments here and there in the fight, but 
by and large, like you said, it was 13 minutes of domination by, by Jill Sonnen. Um, what I'm more perplexed by is how much Nate Marquardt struggled on his back. Um, he had to have known that he was going to get put there at some point, and he had to have known it was possible that he could have been spending a lot of time on his back. He has a training partner named George St. Pierre, who he should have been drilling, just having George St. Pierre just plow through him and put him on his back over and over and over again, drilling submissions, drilling sweeps, uh, drilling escapes. I mean, that's what he should have spent most of his training camp on. And, and it was almost seemed like he it never crossed his mind that that's how the fight could have gone down. Um, he even admitted, you know, I didn't execute my game plan. I, I, I kind of let him determine where the fight was going, which is absolutely true. That That's exactly what happened in that fight. Um, and it, it didn't really make much sense, and it was especially uh, strange considering he trains with who he trains, and and he has Greg Jackson in his corner devising his game plan. So um, a, a little disappointing of a performance by Nate Marquardt, but at the same time, uh, that's going to happen to most everybody against Chael Sonnen if, if Sonnen comes out and fights like he did uh, last night and like he did against Yushin Okami. Um, you know, he, he's earned his... His title shot, uh, he'll get it probably sometime later this year, maybe uh, around summertime, sometime in the summer. Um, Nate Marquardt drops down, but not too far. Uh, he's still probably the you know the third best middleweight behind uh, Anderson Silva and now Chael Sonnen in the UFC. So he doesn't drop too far, and, and I'm sure I, I, I think he could take on the loser of the Anderson Silva Vitor Belfort fight next. Uh, take some time away. Uh, heal up after that beating he took and, and work on all aspects of his game because he has to realize that not every fight is going to be him imposing his will. He has to be prepared to fight when the other fighter is able to do what they want to do. And, and every fighter needs to be able to, to counteract that when, when that's what they're up against. Yeah, very much so. Moving on to our main event, Randy Couture against Mark Coleman and uh, in what turned out to be a, a very prophetic walkout song. Uh, Randy Couture comes up to Ted Nugent's stranglehold, and, um, you know, this was this was a fight to show um, everyone by these guys. They were both out to prove that they uh, can continue in this sport despite being in their mid-40s, and for one guy, that was the case. Randy Couture looked as good as he uh, has looked in, in, in any of his recent fights, looked uh, infinitely better than he did against Brandon Vera, a lot better than um, he did against Noguera, um, and even better than he did against Brock Lesnar. Um, and, and the thing is, that's that's taken with a grain of salt because Mark Coleman looked every bit um, as old as his 45 years of age, and every bit like he doesn't have what it takes to continue in the sport. Um I mean, his his victory over Stefan Bonner aside, Coleman just has not evolved with the game, whereas it's clear that Randy Couture has. And Couture just picked him apart on the feet and in the clinch in the first round, just, uh, you know, really beat him up in the, in the clinch in the first round. And then in the second, uh, got the takedown, and it was, it was all Couture, and got the rear naked choke victory. I mean, we haven't seen... Couture pull out a submission in quite some time, and uh, you know Coleman said afterward that uh, you know it, it was he was very disappointed. He said he w- he wasn't going to quit. He wasn't done. 
Tito Ortiz yelled something into the cage, and we had uh, one of the, the great sound bites uh, from a post-fight interview with Coleman just looking out of the cage and grabbing the mic and saying, fuck you, Tito, and any time, douchebag. Um, you know what? That would be a fight that they could market. <laughs> it, it, that uh, it, Should Chuck Liddell get past Tito Ortiz, I would not mind seeing Tito Ortiz mark Coleman. Other than that, I don't think Coleman should be fighting in the UFC. And uh, from the sounds of uh, from the sounds of it, and uh, some quotes from the post fight press conference, uh, Dana White doesn't think so either. So, Couture gets himself back into the light heavyweight title picture. Coleman's likely on his way out of the UFC. He's he's probably done fighting. Um, if he has any say in it, he might not be. But I, I don't know that the UFC is going to put him in another bout. Um, but Randy Couture looked excellent at 46 years of age. Um, one of his best performances of the last three years. And, uh, you know, you can't say enough good things about Couture's performance because uh, he, he took it to Coleman from the start and did absolutely um, everything he wanted to do in this fight and looked great in doing so. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on Couture's uh, victory? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Couture looked fantastic, uh, the best he has in years certainly the best since the, the Gabriel Gonzaga fight. But again, it was against Mark Coleman, and Mark Coleman looked awful in this fight. Um, he looked worse than he did in the Stefan Bonner fight, which it doesn't even make sense when this was supposed to be, oh, Mark Coleman's finally taking training seriously, he's finally testing himself against better fighters. Uh, you know, he, he started working with Sean Tompkins on his striking. I mean, we didn't see any of that. Um, he, he looked outclassed from the get-go, uh, he, like you said, uh, I, I think he should be done, but if they want to market a fight with Tito Ortiz, I won't complain. Um, you know, that's fine. You can have some, some fun with that, and nobody's going to get hurt. Neither of those guys are really capable of hurting the other at this point in their careers, so uh, not much risk in throwing that out there at some point just to, you know, like give both guys a, another paycheck and, and make some money off it at the same time. Um, and, and like you said, this puts Randy Couture in the title picture. Um, I don't think this should give Randy Couture a title shot. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. You don't get a title shot by beating Brandon Vera and Mark Coleman, and that's all Randy Couture has done. He looked great against Mark Coleman, but that win means essentially nothing. And the Brandon Vera fight was a fight that a lot of people thought Randy Couture lost. It was a very unimpressive win. Um, he did no damage whatsoever in that fight. So... I understand the, the desire to get Randy Couture matched up on one more title fight, and I'm afraid that's probably what's going to happen as a result of last night, but I still just want to see him beat one legitimate contender uh, before that. I mean, even if it was like Rich Franklin or something like that would be fine with me. I, I think Rich Franklin's on the shelf right now, but should be ready to come back soon. Well, why not set that fight up? And if, if Couture wins that, then, I, then I'll step aside and say, go ahead and give him his, his one last crack at glory. I just... It just flies in the face of pure sport to, to throw a title shot at Randy Couture when there's 10 to 15 guys ahead of him more deserving at this point. Um, and, and I think he should have to beat at least one of those guys before he, he jumps in the, uh, to the front of the line to get a title shot. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm with your thoughts from the, the preview audio where I really do think that a fight with the winner of uh, Little Nug and Forrest Griffin would be excellent. That would be an excellent matchup that would sell, I think, really well, especially if that is Forrest Griffin. You get Forrest Griffin and Randy Couture against one another. You know, the extreme Couture guys are not afraid to fight against one another. They're just not. Uh, I mean, Griffin will 
take training elsewhere, I'm sure, to, to take that fight because that would be a gigantic moneymaker and uh, would be a huge, huge number one contender fight should they set that up. Then you give the winner of Rashad Evans, Quinton Jackson, the uh, the first title shot against the winner of Shogun and Machida. So that would be a nice way to just kind of clean up things at the top of the division and uh, give clear deserving challengers their due. Uh, Anwar, your thoughts on uh, Randy Couture and Mark Coleman here? I mean, it was it was a great showing by Couture. I mean, he obviously, like you said, he evolved with the game. He knew as a as a, as a, as a basically a wrestling based fighter, he can't just do the grappling and be good at that, and then be a little bit good at some other stuff and be a, any kind of contender. He he exemplifies the point of being in competition. If you're a fighter and you're fighting in the UFC at that high caliber level. You're fighting to be the best. It's like if you're a baseball player and you're playing for the majors, you don't want to be on the majors and just do your best or just do all right to, you know, just do enough to get by on a contract. No, you want to win the World Series. You want the championships. You want it all. The same with, you know, fighting. Couture knows that. He knows that, hey, if I'm supposed to be relevant in this day and age, I've got to go with the times, you know. So him, I actually, in a way, feel bad for Coleman only because it seemed like this was basically a, a showcase fight for Couture only. Not a showcase fight for two legends. Literally, Couture had a showcase fight. Like, if you want to see some striking, I'll give you some striking. You know, let me, you know, my punches are going to hit. And then he's like, you want to see some mission? You want to see some ground game? I'll get him down and then submit him. I mean, it was just a really good showcase to see an overall game execution from Randy Couture. It was really great. I mean, as far as the title picture goes, I, you know, I mentioned in one of the roundtables earlier about I think that he should fight someone like a Rich Franklin. And he's got one more fight before a title. I think they'll give him the title shot eventually if he keeps continuing well, but I, I would feel comfortable with one more fight, like Matt said. He's given one fight against a top contender. Rich Franklin is not, you know, over the hill yet. It's not some – he's not a watch-up. He, you know, so that would be a good fight. It would be a good big-name fight to get him back in that title picture. But – you know, if you were to give it to him now, I, I'd, I'd agree it still was a little bit of a slap in the face, considering, again, Brandon Bear, Mark Coleman, I mean, who you got? I mean, they're not exactly, no good chance to those guys, but they're not exactly brimming to the top. As far as Coleman goes, I mean, I want his soundbite from the post-fight interview as my ringtone for my phone. That, <laughs> that was That was ridiculous. That was probably... That was the high, in a way, I really feel bad for saying this, but that was like the highlight of the night just because that was so out of left field. And Coleman just <laughs> telling Tito, F you, you know, all, it was like, holy crap. Because at first, we were, we were actually the crowd I was watching when we thought he was kind of just, you know, tired and winded and kind of walking around, kind of like, you know, a crazy old man, you know, would do. But then we said that to Tito, we, you know, we figured out, I guess someone was talking smack, and then, it came out, we're just like, oh, my God. Like, that was, I mean, that's not going to air on the replay. And if it does, you should buy the replay just based on that. But <laughs> as far as Coleman goes fighting, he, I mean, he's really got nothing. And I hate, I mean, he's, he, I don't know if he's worse off than maybe, say, someone like a Ken Shamrock. But, I mean, eventually these guys got to understand, you know, you know, these are great pioneers of the sport. They've done everything to advance the sport from, Humble beginnings. You know, Coleman is the guy for the ground and pound. You can't argue that. He's the first guy to make it where it was a popular. It was, people knew who it was, what it, what that was and knew what that 
Kane was who was associated with, and that was Mark Holman. You know, but guys like Ken Shamrock and Mark Holman, they've got to they've got to realize, I think, in the back of their head that hey, I'm getting to the age, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. You know, and at least their body knows. You know, obviously age is a factor because of Couture. You know, he's proving once and once again that you know I'm 27 years old, I'm 20 years younger than him, and he's he makes me look like you know I'd be nothing. You know, I'd be like I'd be a, a heavy bag to him. But the point being is, he knows his body can do it. He's realistic what his body can do. Coleman is not. And I feel that he probably will continue. So I think he'll get maybe some of these smaller shows. Or You never know. He could end up doing strike force against Purple Walker. I mean, you could see, you could, I, I mean, it's not funny, but you, you, he could do those high profile kind of circus matchups. And in a way, this is exactly what this was. I mean, it's kind of a circus type thing. Whereas the uh, range core obviously is the better fighter overall. But you know what? I, I, I made the same comment about the Tito Ortiz thing. I would not mind seeing that. Because, the, like Matt said, or, uh, you're not gonna, they're not going to hurt each other. No one's going to hurt each other. See, you know, in that fight. It's just going to be a wrestling-based fight, and, you know, I can, we'll see what happens between Tito and Chuck. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll say, hey, we'll just have you on this bench. We'll see what happens that fight. And then if Tito loses, we'll give you Tito. And I think that would be a great fight. Just from a fan perspective. So overall, I mean, it was a good type of tour. It was sad to see, you know, Coleman go out that way, but the soundbite at the end more than made up for it, in my opinion. Well, guys, this was a, an event to kind of get past to head towards what is uh, a much more exciting uh, spring series of events for uh, all of MMA. I mean, we've we've got a ton of. Really, really exciting cards coming up. UFC 110 uh, later this month has some really good fights on it. And then we get to a great March schedule for the UFC with three events in ten days that uh, just have fight after fight after fight that looks really, really good. So uh, this is this is kind of a card to get past and move on towards the rest of what the UFC has to offer after an injury-plagued and, uh, you know, just completely completely deteriorated beginning of the year. So uh, looking forward to UFC 110 and, and uh, all of those events. Uh, any final thoughts on this one as, as we move past it and get it in the rear view? Uh, and we'll start with you. You know, I just, it, it reminds me of the same pattern that the UFC has been doing the past few years where the first couple of events are not as good as you would think and they end up kind of lowballing each other. Like if you remember the last Super Bowl weekend, it was, BJ Penn, GSP, two, and Machida, Jago Silva. Well, those two fights made that card. I mean, you could argue the John Jones performance, but it's the same pattern of, like, basically two fights making a card, basically making the, the buyer want it, and just hoping that they'll get this. But, of course, like you said, in March, you got the three UFC events. Plus, you've also got, you know, again, you got the Australian card coming up. And then you got Strike Force in April coming up, hopefully – you know, with the rumor box between Jake Shields, Henderson, uh, Fedor, and Verdun, or whoever, it, it, you know, it really is exciting. So, kind of, I, I honestly think, in a way, it kind of benefits the UFC because they're lowballing these expectations and like, oh well, you know, these fights are all born. They're going to come out swinging with these exciting cards that are just going to be off the charts, in my opinion. So, overall, I think, you know, it's, a, it, it's been a decent. It was a decent card. It was as good as. You could only hope for as a fan, you know, again, not so great, but good enough, a serviceable, good enough 
but it's going to definitely lead to bigger and better things. Matt, any final thoughts on the card? Well, I think uh, at the end of the year we'll we'll look back and this will be a contender for you know one of the worst UFC pay-per-views of the year. And considering I gave it a mild thumbs up, uh, that can't really be too too bad of a thing. Um, this hopefully will be the last kind of subpar card in a, in a series of them before we start really uh, turning things up. Start, starting a couple weeks with UFC 110, a uh, card that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I know just on, on MMA Torch, we've got a, a good bit of, of uh, Australian fans, so I'm, I'm glad they're finally getting a, a live event over there and, and look forward to the UFC continuing their, their global expansion as the, the year keeps going. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining me for uh, this lengthy rundown of UFC 109, and uh, we'll be back uh, later this month for uh, preview and, and post-show audios for UFC 110 from Australia. So, guys, thanks again for joining me, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Anytime.